Hello, everyone. It's me, Angela. Alive and maybe well. Um, no, I'm doing okay. Uh, I know that we had a sudden pause in episodes coming out. And as you may have assumed, there's been a lot of, a lot more life stuff going on. Um, as it would turn out, life. <sighs> As it would turn out, life. Yeah, just know that we miss you. And because gay is an all-year-long ordeal, I wanted to re-release one of our favorite Pride episodes. So um, this is probably one that you don't have access to unless you are a patron, where you have the you know, full roster of our past episodes that no longer appear on streaming platforms, or you're a longtime fan for which we really appreciate you. <laughs> so without further ado, um, please do enjoy this relaunch. And we hope to be back with some new, fresh, Bible-ish very soon. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. Bye! A Bible studies show. Whoa! What up is Ruth? And she fell on her face. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she and Ruth are taking it in Bethlehem to come unto a people. Oh my god. Without the Lord. So she's like, don't text him. Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee. I'm surprised. Because it's weird. Good thing I have the whole Bible memorized. Hi Lily. Hello. Go. Wow. <laughs> Same time. Oh, you do it. Sorry. Hello, and welcome to Bible-ish, the podcast where we tell Bible... Oh. Sorry. <laughs> the podcast where we tell Bible. The podcast where we tell Bible stories. I'm Lily. I am Angela. And neither of us are religious experts, but we aren't here to tell you a moral. We're here to tell you a story. This week is Saint Augustine of Hippo. 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 Where's that? It's in the modern city of Anaba in Algeria. Wow. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. So, uh, I have a question for you. Mm. Me? Yeah. If you were a hotel, yes. what book would you have in your bed stand? If I were a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I think. I would. I would have... McSqueezy. <laughs> I would have <laughs> the McSweeney's joke book of book jokes. <laughs> First of all, it's bound backwards. <laughs> Winning titles include Winnie the Pooh is my coworker, popular children's fairy tales reimagined using members of my family. Yes. Jane Eyre runs for president. Yes. <laughs> and a series of letters to Homer from Thymnes, Odysseus's college roommate. Oh my goodness. So if something in this book 
doesn't make someone have the will to live. I don't know what will. So um, here's your random page test then. Okay. I'm either very sad or about to engage in carnal relations. Okay. You know, and then I feel so inspired as to open the book you have provided me to a random page and I read. Okay. All right. Well, let me see here. Uh, Flippy flip. All right. Uh, This is opening to the first page of a story called The Earlier Epic Battles of Grendel's Mother. (laughs) The first few lines. This is an epic battle called Grendel's Mother versus the Manager at ShopRite. <laughs> when Grendel's mother tries to buy 24 cans of tuna using her buy five, get the sixth free coupon, the cashier informs her that the coupons are limited to one per visit. Grendel's mother rips the cashier's throat out and asks to see the manager. <laughs> After weeks of grappling and much bloodshed, the manager concedes that Grendel's mother can use four coupons in this visit. <laughs> my god that's my life grendel's mother hands the manager his severed leg and apologizes for the confusion (laughs) oh my god that's so good (laughs) oh that's so good if that doesn't make you reconsider your priorities i don't know that would make me reconsider my priorities (laughs) for sure wait so what book would you put by the bed if i were a hotel I would probably have The Master and Margarita in my bedstand. Okay, admission. I've never read that. And that's fine because not many people have. (laughs) So they would look at the title and they'd be like, what the heck is this? And then they'd open it up and they'd start reading it or they'd open to a random page and start reading it and all of a sudden realize they're on a uh, whirlwind Stalinist era adventure with Whoa. Satan and his henchmen. Oh my God. <laughs> Do you think it would scare people out of bad decisions? Or maybe it would. Maybe I think you- that they become so enthralled. Yeah. That they would find themselves awake and alive uh, the next morning with uh, whoever the- they were going to sleep with, bored <laughs> and gone. <laughs> Bored and gone. I love it. Wait, so if they were to turn to a random page in this book, (laughs) where would they be landing? My random page is, I'll take the money, the nurse said in a male basso. No reason why it should lie around here. She raked the labels together with a bird's claw and began to dissolve in the air. Two hours later, Professor Guzman sat in his bed in the bedroom with leeches hanging from his temples. Oh my god. Behind his ear behind his ears and on his neck. The gray mustached professor sat on the silk quilt at his feet, looking sympathetically at Guzman and assuring him that it was all nonsense. Outside the window, it was already dark. We do not know what other fantastical events took place in Moscow that night. And of course, we shall not try to search them out, especially since the time has come for us to go to the second part of this truthful narrative. Follow me, reader. Dang. And then they'd be like, okay. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I mean, even from the first line, scraping things together with a bird's claw, I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? (laughs) 
That's what happened to me when I read this book. I was like, what's happening? And I just found myself on a whirlwind adventure in Moscow. With Satan. All right. Maybe we should put both books. And his black cat. Let's just put both books in there. Deal. Right. It's like uh, between the two of these. We're going to be the best hotel ever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's nuts. So are you ready for this? I think I'm ready, but, you know, one can never be sure. Well, get yourself ready because I'm going to tell you a story of a man who was a prolific speaker, theologian, and writer who helped to legitimize a newly formed religion and essentially shape how the Western world views sex and sexuality. What? This one guy? He is known as the doctor of the church. That seems just so, like, clinical. It seems creepy to me. Honestly, anyone being the doctor of a religion makes me... It it feels very like I'm trying to get a foothold to make myself sound like I know what I'm talking about. I fixed it, and it's better now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't trust it. Anyway, his analysis of the story of Adam and Eve brought Christianity out of the shadows while simultaneously linking shame and sex for the rest of time. Rude. He is largely (laughs) rude. What a square. Yeah. But not really. Anyway, you'll see. He is largely responsible for the embarrassment and revulsion we feel when it comes to sex and sexuality. That being said, happy Pride Month from Bibleish Podcast. Yeah. We're going to be talking about homosexuality in the Bible. I had to do a double yeah. double take on that because I'm nervous <laughs> because, uh, yeah. Exactly. This subject may make some people uncomfortable, but a large part of that discomfort is because of St. Augustine of Hippo and the concept of shame he introduced in a society where homosexuality was normalized, if not somewhat prestigious. What? This guy? This guy right now? I'll explain myself, but first. But first. We're going to have we're going to have to go but first <laughs> into the time machine. Oh. <laughs> it's a little rusty. We haven't we haven't been in there in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I because I have to tell you what's going on in Rome, which I will have to do basically every time I mention the the New Testament or anything that comes after okay. it. Okay, all right, all right. It's so. worth cleaning up this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I had it, it um, taken up from the basement, so uh, I feel like we need to get it detailed. Take it to like a well. Hold on. So, time machine wash. Angela and I are actually. Uh, Recording this episode in two different places. So I will go into the backyard, get into the time machine, go to your place, pick you up from Queens, and then we'll go to ancient Rome. Okay, sounds good. What's your ETA? Oh, just give me like two seconds. All right, hold on. Mm -hmm, I should put pants on. Lily. Hey. <laughs> hey girl. Do you want a coffee for the road? Um 
I'm going to have to pee, though, okay. and I just don't feel like finding a bathroom there. I don't think we want to use the bathrooms there. Yeah, so I'm going to say no, and um, let's just go. I got I got my beer. Okay. But you're, uh, you're drunk time traveling? It's self-driving. Okay. All right. That's That makes sense. Yeah. Duh. Of course. What was I thinking? Except I get the driver's seat. <sighs> okay. I have to sit in this one again? Seatbelts, everyone. Yeah, you got the, the low one. My seatbelt is literally made out of chewing gum wrappers. How is this even effective? I made you this new one out of macrame. <sighs> Yours is nicer. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. Just uh, gotta. Ow. Okay. Well, let me just input input the um settings. Yep. That's what you gotta do. <laughs> Boink! <laughs> this thing. I think we need new tires. <laughs> Welcome to 312 AD Rome. Oh, all right. Gay things are happening, and it's totally normal and sometimes prestigious. But what do I mean by that? In ancient Roman culture, homosexuality is socially acceptable. Men can sleep with other men and still be considered super masculine and tough, especially if they're pitching. Hot. When I say it could be prestigious, I was referring to the practice of pederasty, where an adult male takes a younger boy, usually between the ages of 12 and 17, Ooh, as a lover. 12? And today, he would be considered a predator, but in ancient Rome, he is a mentor, father figure, sexual advisor, and more importantly, benefactor. Okay. Anyway, Constantine is our ruler, and he recently had a vision that said, in this sign, conquer. It was the sign of the cross. His conversion to Christianity has a profound effect on Europe, the world, and history. Yeah. But Christianity is a minority religion right now. It is not the hip thing to be. Mm. Christians are actually frequently being persecuted by Romans. So they still have a ways to go in legitimizing their religion. Okay. Constantine was almost a turning point, but then along came Decius. He was super into restoring the Roman pantheon and the might of his empire in the eyes of its people. Rome was starting to question its power, and Decius knew just the thing for it. He would kill a bunch of Christians. In the year 250, he did just that. But then... Goths showed up. <laughs> I'm just imagining that video that's online of all those goths dancing dancing under a bridge. They just come dancing into Rome. And they're bonded pants. <laughs> they're weird music. And they're dark clothes. <laughs> and they're amazing oh, lipstick. They're heavy eyeliner. They're like, we're here. Deal with it. <laughs> they are barbarians, like Vikings, a Germanic tribe from Gotland, Sweden. Word. Decius became the first Roman emperor to be captured by an invading force. Ooh. The Christians rejoiced. The might of this obscure god is now something to consider because of this curiously timed defeat. Yeah. So Germanic tribes did play a large role in the fall of Rome, which happens in 410. 
not necessarily due to the fact that they were professional invaders, but because Rome was already beginning to fray at the seams due to economic troubles, over-reliance on slave labor, divisions drifting apart, over-expansion, government corruption, political instability, Christianity, a loss of traditional values, and the weakening of the legions due to all of the above. Yikes. So they basically showed up at a really opportune time and they were like, hey, let's attack Rome, man. I don't know why they're surfers. They're supposed to be cops. I don't know how to do a sarcastic smoker. <laughs> just imagine it's like Daria showing up. I don't know. Let's just take Rome or whatever. Yeah, let's just like do it and get it over with. So, so the Goths eventually invaded Rome. Which would have been unthinkable in its heyday. Romulus Augustulus, the little emperor, was deposed and the Western Empire was lost. Although, the Eastern Empire, Byzantium, existed another thousand years until it fell to the Ottoman Turks in 1453. I'm telling you this now, in the 300s, because we're not going to go back into the time machine to see it. Rome was one of the most tenacious and prolific empires the world has ever seen. So we will give it its privacy <laughs> and return and return to 2019 to raise a glass to Rome. And then we'll get on with our story. Okay. Is there anything you wanted to do before we go, though? Um, I don't want to take a public bath, although I do want to see it. What if we, like, got drunk first? I feel like that could turn into an orgy pretty easily because it's Rome. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, if we're in the mood, Uh, I don't know. I feel like we have work to do. It's going to be pretty distracting. Okay, fine. We'll go back. (laughs) Clank clonk. All right, bye, Angela. Wait. uh, Okay, she just left me in Queens, I guess. I'm not going to her house. Door sound. Not invited. Hey, I'm back. Hey, Lillian. I was just telling everyone how you left me in Queens when you could have just taken me to your house. Oh, my God. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, well, okay. So. All I can think about is how early I have to work tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So, as I was saying. After the Dark Ages, when civilization had reverted back into an agrarian society out of necessity, it was Rome we turned to afterwards. Their technology, philosophy, and political structures are things we still reference and use yeah, today. Yeah, we're obsessed. So, here's to Rome. We knew thee well, because you wrote a lot of shit down. <laughs> so thanks. No one ever thought the Roman Empire would fall. But everyone could sense a loss of control, an impending doom that created a need to either test one's limitations or restrict them in oneself to compensate for the disorder. Augustine did both these things. He was born in 354 AD to a Christian mother and a Manichaean father in modern-day Algeria. Is it Manician? That makes sense. I should have freaking asked when we that's, were there. That's what we Hold didn't on. get to do. See if I can find a pr- Manichaean. We have no king but Caesar. 
you hypocrites, you hate a small thin hin. Manichaean. Manichaean. Okay. All right. Let me back that up then. So he was born to a Christian. Christian, why can't I say that now? <laughs> to a Kirby Dirngelstein. <laughs> to a Kruppard mother. And a man, hold on. <laughs> break, break it in with your claws. Oh, ouch. Now I forgot what the correct pronunciation is. Minikian. I don't, that, was that the wrong Kermis. one? <laughs> Min- Kirby. Kirby Dorgal story. For fuck's sake, Angela. Just <laughs> You're not helping me. You're not helping me. It was me. it was it was Manichaeism. Christianity was still not popular at this time, but they hadn't at least been persecuted in a while. What was popular at the time was Manichaeism, a Gnostic Ooh. religion. They believed that all matter is evil, the spirit realm is good, and there is a dualism of light and dark at play in the world. They also believed that all light was slowly leaving the material world to return to the spirit one and will leave only darkness and evil matter behind. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's only like 300 AD and they're already giving up. Like, what are we even doing here in 2019? (laughs) Like in 300, they called it and they were like, no, it's already over. That's what I'm saying, though. It was appealing because there was this sort of doomsday feeling at the time. I I relate to that. Right? So... It was heavily influenced by philosophy, value, knowledge, and had one foot in monotheism and another in polytheism somehow. Hearing about it, you can kind of understand why it would be so popular. What progressive ancient wouldn't be like, oh, familiar, yet modern, except for the minority of people who believed in monotheism and polytheism were into it, of course. Anyway, one day... When Augustine was young, his father took him to the bathhouse, and he got a boner. How do I know he got a boner? (laughs) Because I have a time machine. (laughs) Just just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. It's because he wrote about it in his book, Confessions. Why would you write about getting a boner in a bathhouse, you might ask? Well... It's because it made a profound impact on his life, which was amplified by his father, who made a somewhat public announcement about it, and then ran home excitedly to tell his wife all about Augustine's bathhouse boner. Oh my god, is that the name of our band or what? (laughs) Bathhouse boner. (laughs) Robots in disguise. Oh, that's what that is. You're right. (laughs) All boners. They are, though. They're just oh my robots gosh. in disguise. Transformed. Oh <laughs> the boy was mortified, not just because his very Catholic mother was appalled, but also because it was the first time his body did something without his mm. consent. And this frightened him. The incident also triggered a game of tug of war between his mother and father when it came to his spirituality and education, causing a rift in all three of their relationships. Ooh. 
The middle class family scraped what they could together to send him away for schooling at the age. No more 11. boners in this town. All- <laughs> Although they had two other children, it was Augustine who received an education due to the great promise he showed. So, <laughs> is, fuck is, is that how he guess. described the boner? He's showing great promise. Not like our other two boners over here. <laughs> Can this girl even get a boner? I don't know. What's her value? <laughs> At school, he had another pivotal experience, which he writes about in Confessions. He and a group of boys stole fruit from a neighbor's fruit Ooh. tree, and they were all pretty pleased with themselves about the heist. The pear <gasps> heist. When he later heard the story of Adam and Eve, it was that afternoon with his classmates that he recalled. He saw it as an example of humanity's natural inclination to sin. And he writes, I would not have committed that theft alone. My pleasure in it was not what I stole, but rather the act of stealing. Nor would I have enjoyed doing it alone. Indeed, I would not have done it. Oh, friendship, all unfriendly. You strange seducer of the soul who hungers for mischief from impulses of mirth and wantonness, who craves another's loss without any desire for one's own profit or revenge, so that when they say, let's go, let's do it, we are ashamed not to be shameless. Whoa. School ended just in time for the money to run out and Augustine returned home. Back in his old stomping grounds, he ran with a group of young troublemakers, making life at home tense. Augustine was turning out to be very much like his father, which worried his mother. She wanted him to start thinking about settling down, but her son was still hungry for the world outside his hometown. His father passed away during that time, and his parting gift was to let his wife baptize him before his death. Hmm. Augustine have any say in that or okay no he was he was dying and she was probably like please oh please oh please let me baptize you so that you don't die a heathen and he's like whatever I'm gonna die anyway so I thought you meant to baptize Augustine no I'm sorry his parting gift to her was allow allowing her to baptize him her husband got it got it got it Even while running amok in town, Augustine still displayed a skill for intellect. A wealthy citizen from his hometown ended up paying tuition for him to attend college in Carthage in order to study rhetoric at the age of 17. Rhetoric. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's like the study of debate, basically. That might be too much of a generalization. It's like the study of conveying ideas. The study of how to talk good. Yes. (laughs) Also, is this man possibly one of those sugar daddies we mentioned? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. uh, Yeah. I'm calling it. I'm going to say yes. Hard yes. (laughs) Angela says yes. So, again, we could have checked and we didn't, you know. Sorry about it. I have work early tomorrow. (laughs) Didn't have time to dilly-dally in the time machine. The port town of Carthage was a circus of the senses, and unlike anywhere he'd ever been, he was appalled and delighted at the same time by all the pagan city had to offer. He writes, 
I came to Carthage, where a cauldron of unholy loves was seething and bubbling all Mm. around me. I was not in love as yet, but I was in love with love. Because of this, my soul was unhealthy and full of sores. It exuded itself forth, itching to be scratched by scraping on the things of the senses. Scraping on the things? Scraping on the things of the senses. Scrape myself on some pizza later. (laughs) (laughs) It just makes anything fun and good sound terrible and bad. (laughs) (laughs) Scrape myself against a manicure tomorrow. Augustine ended up taking a mistress who he didn't bother okay. to name. He did, however, name the son they had together. A Diodatus, <laughs> meaning a gift from Aww. God. That's the um, name meaning for Matthew oh. as well. Well, those are two very different names. So I don't know how we arrived at the same exact meaning from those. Right? The two can't marry because she is from a lower class, and that's actually illegal. So if you're hoping for a Cinderella story, you won't find it here in ancient Rome. (laughs) Not happening. Meanwhile, he is studying, (laughs) attending classes and lectures and speeches. He becomes a huge fan of Cicero and resolves to seek knowledge where he has none. So he picks up the Bible, the religious text of his mother, and starts at page one. He makes it through the book of Genesis, then puts it down. These stories seem backwards and convoluted. Augustine considered himself a pretty smart guy and was actually annoyed by the unclear messages in the stories and questionable behavior portrayed by its characters. The text didn't have the same eloquence and intellect he was grown accustomed to studying Cicero. He thought to himself, these are the founders? This is who we are to look to and to worship. He tosses the Bible over his shoulder and thinks of his desperate, neurotic mother, not understanding how she could be so devout. This was a poorly written book, and there were many religions to choose from, especially in ancient Carthage. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just loving that he's like, this is poorly written. I don't see why anyone... Yeah. (laughs) This is trash. (laughs) Yeah, and he's thinking of his mom who's like, this is the most important thing in my life. And he's like, okay. He's like, this kind of reads like like a soap opera novel, mom. Carthage is a port town. And you can think of it also as kind of like a religious marketplace where some religions have stalls, some have storefronts, and they're all offering something. With all the options, you're going to need a good sales pitch and impressive salespeople. Manichaeism was gaining popularity and appealed to Augustine because it valued discipline, knowledge, and morality, attributes he strived for. Oh, there's an emergency. <laughs> for us. They saw the time machine and they were like, <laughs> unidentified flying object. <laughs> Call the NYPD. We, uh, we saw something in the sky and uh, I don't know, it looked funny. <laughs> looked like it was going... Not like things that usually yeah, look I'd like that. Yeah, I've never seen something like that before in my life. And when I saw it, I was like, what is that? <laughs> I was like, said to my partner, I was like, hey, Tony, did you see the thing in the sky? And Tony was taking a nap because he just had five bagels. Who eats five bagels? 
first of all. I always tell them. Pace yourself, Tony. You missed the fucking thing in the sky. All right. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, buh, buh. discipline, knowledge, and morality were all attributes that he strived for. And he attended Manichaean classes taught by elders of the religion, and they promised an understanding of Whoa. the universe. The whole thing? That's what he said. He was like, cool. I want to understand the whole thing. thing. So this sounds great. He was 25 by this point and returns home with his mistress and son to become a teacher. Monica had caught wind of his new religious affiliations and turns him out of her home upon his arrival, not even allowing him to enter the house. So he's like, fine. I'll go stay with Ramon Romanianus. I'll go stay with him. The man who bankrolled my education in Carthage. He's got a better house anyway. He lets me do the things I want to do. So we're going to go stay with Ramon Romanianus. Yeah, and he doesn't know about my first ever boner, mom. (laughs) So he goes to lodge with him and he continues to lavish him with Mm. opportunity. Augustine becomes locally famous for his skills as an orator and for his ability to speak inclusively about any subject so that anyone listening could either understand or still walk away feeling like they had learned like, something. I kind of feel like that's still a relevant skill, but it's amazing to me that at that time, yes. like being able to read enough and then make sense of things and then explain it to people who don't have a clue what you're talking about, that's truly like... Mm-hmm. That is exceptional. Yes. While teaching back home, he develops a friendship with someone from his childhood. They were not good friends when they were growing up, but became very close. Like, very close. So close that Augustine gets a little Uh vague about uh it. This is a Jonathan situation, (laughs) if I ever saw one. Yeah. He writes... But he was not then my friend, nor indeed ever became my friend in the true sense of the term. For there is no true friendship save between those thou dost bind together and who cleave to thee. But that love which is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Possible translation. But... I can't really call him my friend because of the stuff we did that we would not have done if our love for each other had instead been a love for you. Interesting. He's saying, <gasps> wow. God. So nearly a year into their relationship, Augustine's friend becomes sick oh, no. with a fever and he had been a Christian, but Augustine had converted him into yeah. Manichaeism. In the throes of his fever, he loses consciousness, and Augustine is there by his side. When he finally wakes up, Augustine is overjoyed. The fever hadn't taken him. He is elated and jokes with him, saying that he had baptized him while he was out. His friend becomes angry and starts yelling at him, saying that if he wants to continue to be his friend, he won't say such things in the future. Augustine stomps off and begins to prepare a whole speech in his head to give to his friend once he gets his strength back about why he would turn his back on their Manichaean Yeah, don't uh, don't make an orator mad. You're going to hear it. Right. 
and then I'll say, and he'll probably counter me with this. So I'll say. (laughs) I'll be prepared. He never got to say whatever he was going to because his friend's fever returned and he died two weeks later. Augustine was devastated. They had only known each other for a year, but they were beyond friends. Confessions is written as if the speaker is confessing to God, and in the recounts of his friend's death, he begs him to keep him, even though he had led him astray. Mm. Basically saying, even though I had made him leave the faith that worships you, please keep him. That's my transgression. Interesting. He goes on to write the most heartbreaking goodbye, which makes his feelings for him painfully clear. Sad. Yeah. Ready to sad. He writes, My heart was utterly darkened by this sorrow, and everywhere I looked, I saw death. My native place was a torture room to me and my father's house a strange unhappiness. And all the things I had done with him, now that he was gone, became a frightful torment. My eyes sought him everywhere, but they did not see him, and I hated all places because he was not in them. Because they could not say to me, look, he is coming, as they did when he was alive and absent. I became a hard riddle to myself, and I asked my soul why she was so downcast and why this disquieted me so sorely. But she did not know how to answer me, and if I said, hope thou in God, she very properly disobeyed me because that dearest friend she had lost was an actual man, both truer and better than the imagined deity she was ordered to put her hope in. Jeez. Like, holy... Right? Oh, my God. That's so sad. And I... And my... It's just like... Especially the part of being like, I hated everywhere because nowhere would tell me that he was coming. That's my favorite line. My eyes sought him everywhere, but they did not see him. And I hated all places because he was not in them. God. uh, Even like in experiences where like, you know, something is over in general and it's just like, Everything that I used to think about this person in relation to where you're like, oh, I saw this thing and it made me think of this person. Let me tell them or like, I can't wait to tell them next time I see them. And then Mm -hmm. like suddenly you're like, I hate this thing now because I can't tell them about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, though. That's crazy, man. It's really sad. But I like keep not wanting to get too emotionally invested because then I'm like, wait, remember how he's the guy who said that like sex is bad? So I, uh, I'm i waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> well, oh, keep waiting. So <laughs> Augustine leaves to return to Carthage along with his mistress and son. He digs deeper into his faith and presents his findings and questions to the Manichaean teachers who all told him to save his questions for Faustus. He would be able to answer him. This kept happening until Faustus eventually made himself available. He was an impressive speaker, but when Augustine finally approached him with his questions, he didn't have an answer. 
This caused him to have doubts about the church and the men who were supposed to share with him the secrets of the universe. Meanwhile, Monica, his mother, is very loudly praying for her son and campaigning for a religious intervention. She begs the bishop to speak with him, but he told her it was not something he could force. She starts wailing and clawing and making a dang scene, so he's like, oh my god, fine. Please leave, though. Not convinced he'll earnestly help her, she returns home, packs up all the guilt she can possibly carry, and shows up on her son's doorstep. She lives with him for a while, which must have been super fun, especially for the mistress. Who she probably got along with yeah, really well. Uh, exactly who you want showing up on your doorstep. Oh, good. My mother-in-law's here. Not even mother-in-law. Ma. My mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. Augustine needed a change of scenery. Something bigger. He was going to go to Rome. Only one problem. Monica wanted to come too. But she was kind of, sort of, why he needed to get away. <laughs> oh, there's uh, there's not enough room in the carriage, Mom. Sorry. One day, they were to all get on the boat for Rome. He told his mother that he was going to say goodbye to a friend, and then they'd all leave together. You should go check out this temple, though, Ma. You'd totally love it. It's super Christian, so you can pray and stuff, which is your favorite thing to do. I'll meet you there later. So Augustine, his son, and his mistress board the ship, and Monica spends the night waiting for them as they sail off to Rome. Duped. She got duped. She'd been duped. In Rome, he got a teaching job and taught a whole semester of rhetoric. When the day came for tuition payment. None of his students oh. showed up. Sucks. Luckily, he had impressed an influential man in government who became his new patron. He wished to use Augustine to restore glory to Rome and got him a prestigious job in Milan, the seat of government at the time. He would be the mouthpiece for the emperor, who was 12, and ruled the empire through his mother, Empress Justina. It was Augustine who would declare his victories and build his reputation using his skills as an orator. Strategic. I like it. (laughs) Can you imagine, though? The 12 year old emperor's announcements if he did them himself. <laughs> so there are some bad guys uh, over the hill. Uh, I think it's that hill. But it's okay because we guided them and um, everyone did a really good <laughs> thumbs up job. So thanks to Roman, the Romans. Yeah. We're going to get a week <laughs> off to play Xbox. And everyone can stay up till 9.30. (laughs) It was such a high-status job that Monica soon learned of his whereabouts and sailed off to meet him. His mother tagged along with him wherever Mm -hmm. he went after that, not just because she was afraid for him and also a suffocating (laughs) person and maybe being afraid of being duped again, but because most places her son went, The Bishop Ambrose of Milan was sure to be, and she was super into him. Religiously, (laughs) of course. Oh, Bishop Ambrose, I almost didn't see you there. He's so (laughs) Christian. So, fun story about Ambrose. 
He had been elected governor of Milan and held his position with great esteem. One day, a conflict broke out between the Christians and some other religious sect that didn't think Jesus was in any way God. Ambrose rushed to the scene and was like, hey, you guys, (laughs) stop it. The Christians started chanting his name, saying he was their leader. Freaked out and not interested, he flees and goes into hiding. Somehow he gets word from the emperor praising him and supporting him as Bishop of Milan, which probably was written on just like a piece of coloring paper (laughs) and crayon. He's like, hey, you. I think it's good that you're bishop now. (laughs) Now you're bishop of Milan. I give it thumbs up. Good job. (laughs) He's like, oh, man. I got a thumbs up. Good job from the emperor. (laughs) That is not what I was trying for. A friend turned him in, and he was reluctantly baptized and sworn in as bishop. <laughs> the image of a what? reluctant baptism. Like, he's leaning back, and he's like, Ugh, I hate it. Oh, my it's hair is wet cold. now. <laughs> the only thing Ambrose ever wanted was to serve and protect his people. If they needed him to do so as bishop, then so be it he fell into his new role. Ambrose was highly educated and gave amazing sermons. Monica urged her son to seek him out. Still a devout Christian, she had questions about her religion. Augustine would act as a go-between for them and grew increasingly impressed with Ambrose's answers, which is very different than his experience with Faustus. Milan was in the midst of a philosophical revival, re-inspired by Plato and re-evaluating his texts. Ambrose was part of this movement, and Augustine recognized a lot of the language he used from his studies, which attracted him. He develops a cautious relationship with Ambrose, and Monica is pleased that her son could soon gain a Christian Mm. mentor. There's just one or two changes she'd like to make. What, Monica? Augustine is, (laughs) what now, Monica? Augustine is 30 and gaining status, so she sets to work arranging his marriage. She finds the perfect Christian heiress and twists his arm to agree to marry her. He agrees. Because they're going to have to wait anyway. Oh, God. She's only 10. You have to be 12 to get Mm -hmm. married, of course. You're totally done with puberty by then. So weird. He thought this might mean getting his mom off his back for two years, but then she insists that it's inappropriate to court a Christian if you have a mistress. The woman had to go, and so she was sent away. He writes, Meanwhile, my sins were being multiplied and my concubine being torn from my side as a hindrance to my marriage. My heart, which clave unto her, was torn and wounded and bleeding. And she returned to Africa, vowing unto thee never to know any other man, leaving with me my son of her. So their son. Not being accustomed to not having sex whenever he wanted, and daunted by the thought of having to wait two years before he could sleep with his very young wife, he took another lover. As for his mistress, she kept her word, returned to North Africa, and lived in a celibate community that worshipped God. 
Yeah, which made him respect her a lot and also made him upset at himself that he couldn't yeah. he couldn't do the same. Oh, interesting. After recounting the death of his friend and confessions, he became fixated on love as well as the nature of it. It was an all-consuming power that was not in his control. If he had not fallen in love, he would not have felt such a debilitating loss, and he was convinced that to love is to not only corrupt a friendship, but to lose yourself as well. He tells God of what a hindrance it is and explains that he could not love God at that time because he could only love his friend. This implies that if one is in love, they cannot truly love him because they do not do it with all that is within them. Their devotion is shared. Oh, creepy. After the loss of his mistress, he started to become annoyed by his sexual desire It was something he never really had to deal with before, living with his mistress for the last decade. He knew what he wanted, the secrets of the universe, but his body wanted something else. How could that be so? Why would it choose to physically distract him from his ultimate quest? Why do we have a feeling of need for something we don't need or something that could ultimately hurt us? Thus began Augustine's War on Sex to protect himself and others from the costly side effects of love and desire. Yikes, bro. I mean, okay. I mean, okay. Uh, okay. We've all been there. That really yeah, sucks like we've all for been you. There, where we're we've just all like, I, <laughs> that's really hard. And you feel like, you know, uh, it's never going to happen to you again. And you get really frustrated by what you want and can't have. Uh, but the rest of us, Sort it out. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, like, I think, I think his point about, uh, that it's an interesting idea that like, how can you love God when you're also like giving so much of yourself to like this other kind of love? I mean, I think that that makes sense. Like the kind of things where you get sort of infatuated with someone and it's like, all-consuming that is like a time when your brain is not on correctly but that's also not like a healthy sustainable situation anyway it makes me think he just went through that Mm -hmm. and then was like i am very inconvenienced i must make sure that i figure out why this is wrong and bad yeah and jumping off of that his friend died before that sort of honeymoon phase yeah ends Right, so we never even really experienced the transition. I mean, he was with his mistress for 10 years, but also it sounds like mostly they just had sex. Like, I don't really under, you know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, domestic partnership there. That he speaks a lot of now. even that could be, like, you know, they had a very specific relationship, and now he's just like, oh, oh. (laughs) Yeah. But where will I put it? How do I not have sex? Bruh. (laughs) So he developed a closer relationship with Ambrose, who taught him a new way of reading the Bible. So not literally, and with some degree of philosophical effort. This intrigued him, and he began his conversion into Christianity. He moved into a villa with some other guys who were interested in philosophy, and he met this man who told him a story about two soldiers who were engaged to be married to ladies. One day, they walked into a house full of celibate men 
who study the scripture. They pick up a book and start reading it because I guess you can just go into people's homes and go (laughs) through their things and it's fine. Hey, what's this? (laughs) It's okay. I'm a soldier. (laughs) So the the book was about St. Anthony, who was a landowner like them, who gave up everything he had to go live in the desert after he heard the gospel preached one time. And he prayed and worshiped all day, every day, and lived only with God for the rest of his life. The two men were like, we should do this. (laughs) Road trip. That sounds insane. (laughs) So they broke off their engagements and gave up everything they had to go study and pray in the middle of nowhere. Oh, dang. Augustine's eyes widened. Then he began to cry. If two soldiers can do this, think of what I can contribute if I devote my life and skills to the Christian church. Uh Uh-huh. He wanted to be ready, but he wasn't. Instead, he surrounded himself with mistresses. Okay. And they'd say things like, do you really have to go? Maybe you could just practice moderation and self-control. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) maybe just don't have so many mistresses all the time and i can see why you're delaying this because it's like it's the last time you'll do it forever you know (laughs) nag 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 (laughs) bother 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 what do they know so i think that augustine may have been a sex addict Kind of sounds like it, like with the level of difficulty he had understanding not having sex. And I, and I also think that he knew that about himself. He could not stop until he stopped completely. And the fear that day was overbearing. One day when his soul was sick, he ran out into the garden crying. He loudly begged for his uncleanness to be removed from him. Then he hears a child's voice chant, Pick up and read! Pick up and read! He runs back home, picks up the first book he sees, and it's the letters of Paul. Paul, you know. So... I'll tell you about Paul. Oh, God. Here is how a religious debate of homosexuality usually plays out. Person one, my religion says homosexuality is wrong. Person two, but in Leviticus, where that's stated, they also say it is wrong to eat shellfish and wear blended fabrics. Person one, yes. But in the Christian faith, we practice whatever religious law is reiterated in the New Testament. So what are they referring to? The Apostle Paul. Oh, stinking Paul. This is what he writes. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function of that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of women and burned in their desire toward one another. 
men with men, committing indecent acts, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. We must always remember, as readers and listeners, that the Bible was written by people, and we know from the Bible that people are inherently corrupt. We have individualized reasons for our thoughts and feelings, and not one of us is truly free of prejudice. It was not God that wrote the Bible. It was man. The men who followed the men who followed the men who followed God. And we can't even say that the man who is attributed to having written a certain portion of this book actually wrote it in its entirety and in its exactness. We know that this is not the case. Each book had multiple scribes with multiple prejudices. Augustine condemned sex and sexuality in his text because he had a problem with sex. He was not allowed to be with the person he wanted to be with, and he had had the person he loved more than anyone taken from him. That, and he had an addiction. So you have to wonder why Paul, who had spent the previous portion of his life persecuting early followers of Jesus, by the way, you have to wonder why he was the only one to mention it. Although, I do agree with one portion of what Paul says, and that is that homosexuality is unnatural if you are straight. Does gay sex make you uncomfortable? Fine. Don't have gay sex. Does being attracted to someone of the same sex feel unnatural to you? Homosexuality is not for you then. It's <laughs> not, that's not your club. It's for homosexuals. And what they feel for each other is just as deep and true as St. Augustine himself described when he lamented the loss of his male lover. Yeah. Hmm. So that's homosexuality that's, in the Bible. But so then Augustine went on a campaign against gays? His anti-homosexuality is is more so the portion he wrote about his friend and the loss of his friend. Oh. Saying that that act had corrupted him almost irreparably. Huh. Because That's he was because so he was in love. Sad. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Mm. It's heartbreaking and aggravating because these viewpoints that he has comes out of his inability con- to control his sexual desires. It's not so much to do with what gender that desire is pointed at. Or really also like you know, because I think I think you're definitely possibly right in the sense that he had to like surround himself with mistresses just to like try to, you know, make up for what he lost. But like it also is just that he's deeply uncomfortable with his sexuality and the public interplay of that because of what yes. happened to him. That was obviously such a, a significant event to him. 
that he feels a sense of like shame around it in general. So I think for him to like open himself up and actually fall in love and then have that taken away and like all this other stuff is just like to, he like has to shut it down. He's like, I can't be vulnerable at all about this anymore. And what I was saying about Paul is that we know why St. Augustine feels the way he feels because he wrote an autobiography basically. Yeah. About his life. He was so telling and so intellectual that people really listened to him and were shocked sometimes by what he brought up, but his his ability to, to reconcile that later in his book of confessions sort of forgives those acts, mm. if that makes sense. So what I want to know is what could we have learned about Paul if he had also written an autobiography about himself and his life that was as telling as St. Augustine's was. Right. Yeah. And that's what I want people to think when they're thinking about religious arguments around this subject. Yeah. Like who are the people who wrote this and what actually motivated them to write it? Exactly. Uh, Because it was not God ever at any point. Yeah. who is quoted in this book, who said that specifically to someone. It also feels like because, okay, I'm going to go out on, this is, this is a conspiracy theory and a half, but like it feels a little bit like because Christians were like a persecuted minority in Rome, but like Romans in general were like so cool with sex, like homosexuality and stuff like that, that like it feels a little bit like when the Christians finally got power, they were like, okay, what's all the stuff we hated about Rome and we're going to make it not okay? Okay, and then another <laughs> thing, gay stuff. And then, like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I, can just, I can just imagine, like, a caucus of people being like, we finally have a foothold here, so what yeah. are we going to make sure we do so we don't become, like, those rude Romans who were so mean to us, which is valid, like, you know. Yeah, how like, do we <laughs> differentiate ourselves from them? Yeah. The ancient Hebrews did the same thing in the stories we've been reading. Yeah. It was this quest to differentiate yourself from the people around you so that you can you can have your own identity. Right. Yeah. So it kind of just feels like they were like, mm, let's I mean, they didn't, you know, write it nearly as uh, directly as most of the morals that are in the Bible that they really want you to know about. But it it definitely is like it's so in the atmosphere of Christianity to be like, and gay stuff is wrong. And then they're like, where? Come mm-hmm. on. <sighs> they just got together and made a made a burn book of all the things they didn't like about Romans. <laughs> Pretty much. Augustine converted to Christianity. He was baptized by Ambrose and broke off his engagement to the little girl who was going to be his wife. His mom was more pleased by his conversion than by the prospect of having proper grandchildren. So pleased, in fact, that she died. <laughs> I'm so happy I could just die. Her job, her job was over. Wow. He was a Christian, and she did it all through the power of nagging. <laughs> You know what? I bet there's like a sect or like a group of people who like worship her. 
Because if you think about it, it feels very much like her life was devoted to making him a Christian. I will tell you this. One of the documentaries that I watched to help me with my research was very Christian. They glossed over his friendship with his lover. Yeah. And um, they always talk about her as this like pinnacle Christian woman who like yeah. did everything for her son and 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 prayed so hard that he he was finally led into the inner circle of the righteous. Yeah, man. I can see that. I can see how people would get into that. But he describes her very differently. My descriptions that I have in here are are inspired by how he himself <laughs> described his mother. He actually called her suffocating. Wow. Augustine eventually returns to Carthage where his son dies. Later he is ordained as a priest of Hippo, writes confessions, amongst some other things, and becomes bishop. Then dies in 430, 20 years after the fall of the Western Roman Empire. His book, The City of God, was also a big hit, but his most prevalent legacy would have to be the analysis of the story of creation, Adam and Eve. It was the story that had bothered him most when he first picked up the Bible in his quest for knowledge. The one that stated that that very thing was man's original sin. It's the first story that most people read, and it was unappealing to the general Roman public who valued their rich history of technology and philosophy. If Christianity was going to take off, then he'd have to start at the literal beginning. Oof. In his analysis... He turns paradise into a place of innocence and knowledge into involuntary pleasures. Adam and Eve, upon eating the fruit, became aware of carnal feelings and involuntary desire. That is how they became aware of their nakedness and covered themselves in embarrassment. They had realized that there were parts of their bodies that did not act or feel as an arm or leg does, and because of this, they could no longer enjoy innocence. He parallels the exile from paradise to the loss you can only feel after you have known love and lost it. After feeling physical pleasure, one can never return to the garden because it can no longer satisfy. This analysis was huge. It was extremely well thought out and well written. It was also controversial, which made it a popular talking point. But Augustine was ready for that. He always questioned everything he read. He had been trained to. He was able to hit every counterpoint and critique out of the park, which amazed everyone even more. He was truly a talented writer, an intellectual, and he was not wrong when he said to himself, think of what I could do if I devoted my life to this. Yeah. His modern and philosophical interpretations of the dated scripture elevated and legitimized them, but it was at the expense of our sexualities. A lot of people joke about Catholic guilt, and we have to laugh because of how not funny it really is, because of how much it has hurt having to come into our own sexual selves under the oppressive banner of shame. Sex is natural. 
Sexuality is natural, whatever yours may be. Some people struggle with it, are frightened or angered by it, are empowered or inspired by it, and that's because we are all different. Just like the people who wrote the Bible, we are all different, and we should be able to grow the garden here on earth and live in it together because what is natural can never be undone, no matter how much you pray. Just ask Augustine. Boom. We're titling this episode, Go Ask Augustine. Yes. (laughs) Noise. That's ballin'. Mic drop, Lily L. And that's the story of St. Augustine of Hippo. Dang. That's infuriating. Um... So the problem with that is what a sad and smart little man. I know. That's the thing is that part of me empathizes with him so hard. Cause like, I feel like I've had a similar experience in my life where I was just like, I tried this one thing and it didn't fucking work at all. And now I never want to do it again. But like, you gotta try again. You just got to pick yourself up and you just got to keep going. And if he had better friends, maybe they would have helped him through it, but apparently his friends were shitty and they just let him do his own thing. And why couldn't he have like an uh, opium problem <laughs> or like a hash problem uh, or a drinking problem? Right. Why did he have to have a sex problem? Look, one of like the smartest, most influential fathers of the church. Why did you have to be a sex addict? Yeah. And also so prolific. You know, I I wonder where, okay, I'm going to chicken or egg this a little bit in the sense that like, I do kind of feel like someone, if it wasn't him, someone at some point would have brought sex into the equation because like, if he grew up in an, in a society that pretty much didn't demonize sex and he still felt ashamed and he still felt weird about it. And he's still like, and you know, very much clearly from this experience he had as a young boy, you know, that tells me that on some level, there's still something very vulnerable about maybe it's just puberty. Maybe it's just that time when you're discovering your sexuality or when it's a new thing for you, but like it feels scarier than other new things that had happened before somehow. So like, Part of me still feels like since sexuality is a universal human experience, like wherever you are on the spectrum, you have something to say about it. Even if it's asexual, you're still like, that's where I fall on that spectrum. Like, yeah, dealing with that is part of the human experience. Uh, I feel like someone at some point would have still it up for us. (laughs) Yeah. And also people who struggle with alcoholism, who can only really deal with it by abstaining from alcohol. Yeah. Fine. Good job. Congratulations to everyone who struggled with that and who's done it. Right. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that everyone should abstain from it. Right. And it doesn't mean that it should be made evil. Yeah, no, it's true. And it, it is really unfortunate because I think it causes uh a lot of weird behavior in people to hide who they are or to not 
or to not in, get to enjoy that part of life because they're just so wrapped up in like, this is wrong and bad. And like, I shouldn't be doing this. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously, et cetera, et cetera. We all know how terrible the world is to people who are LGBTQ. Yeah. IA. But it's so tragic that it actually came out of basically a someone heart. who was bisexual. Yeah. He could have been like a bisexual hero. And instead, he ruined it for everyone. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. And thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for listening, <laughs> Augustine. Well, thanks for telling me that story, Lily. I'm glad You're so I know welcome, now. Angela. Yeah. I was I was excited to share it. And again, happy Pride Month to all happy our listeners. Happy Pride, because you know what? F anyone who's gonna say you can't live your life and love who you want and sleep with who you want or like who you want or like don't like who you don't want, because also <laughs> that's true. And <laughs> it's okay to don't like who you don't want to like. Yeah, don't feel pressured to be any type of way that doesn't feel right. That's what I have to say about that. So there. If you enjoy this show, not just this episode, but like other episodes as well, if you've listened to those, you can support us continuing the show by going to patreon.com slash Bible podcast. And what you're going to find there is a wide assortment of fun perks, prizes, yep. gifts, some of which Perky we will prizes. make with our own hands, our own drunken hands. Uh, <laughs> and you get to join the fun and also help keep the show going because, uh, you know, it costs money. And that is a reality yeah. that we deal with every day. Every day. I'm kidding. It's only like every, every day we're week. hustling. I'm going to keep going. Yeah, if we had more money, we could have had a real beat there. But then instead, we have really have to do it with our mouth. So uh, my mouth is tired. My mouth is tired from all this beat making. Thank you, everyone who's donated so far. And um, to everyone who has liked and subscribe to our podcast. If you haven't yet, uh, we encourage you to do so. It helps us out a lot. And um, you can leave leave your review on Apple's. <laughs> Just write your review on an Apple and leave it outside. We'll pick it up. I meant to say <laughs> iTunes. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Put it on Apple's. And then take a bite and say, nothing is wrong with my sexuality. <laughs> and everything is meaningless. And everything's meaningless, yeah. Oh, uh, so again, we are not here to mock or glorify the Bible. We are just two modern-day modern ladies trying to wrap our heads around an ancient text. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I love you. Celebrate Pride because it's the best month. Ha ha. <laughs> We're, We're totally a on that. Do, do, do your thing, honey. <laughs>